0: Welcome to the Seashore Church message of the week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. We have these books, too. This has kind of become, other than the Bible, kind of a textbook for us called Continuous Revival that really kind of defines the season of what we feel like um, God has us in. And what he's been doing in our church and, and kind of how to experience revival, which I'll talk about a little bit this morning, but it's just a real thin book called Continuous Revival by a guy called Norman Grubb. We're not selling these. We purchased these for you, and so um, this is available to anybody who does not yet have this. We'll have them up here at the front, so if you don't have one of these, we just want to resource you with it. It's not the Bible, but it's pretty good, so that's for you. Can I give that to you, honey? Great. And uh, all right, let's get into the Word. I promise this will not be a long message this morning. It's a dangerous thing for any preacher to say. I understand that. That's usually like, looks like we're going to be here for a while. But the reason why is because we have brunch for all of you at the end of this service. I don't know if you knew that or not, but we have a professionally catered brunch from Chef by Design that's going to be set up out there. We've got Uh, quiche with tomato coulis. I I should have looked at the, uh, do you anybody know what tomato coulis is? (laughs) Sounds great, but it's awesome. No, it's like a tomato sauce. It's beautiful. We've got homemade cinnamon buns. We have uh, poached salmon with dill sauce. We've got, uh, oh gosh, I'm already forgetting, trifle, like triple berry trifle. It's these giant things of just deliciousness and all that's going to be available for you guys for free at the end of the service out in the lobby. You may have lunch plans, but you don't now. You're going to want to cancel it, so you've got to show up at your mama's house and be eat her food and be like, Pff. so I've got to get this done because you're going to smell that in about 20 minutes, and I know that you'll be checked out by the time you start smelling that great food. And so, um, it's Easter, happy Easter. We are, we are so glad that you chose to worship with us this morning, to be here. Um, if you are trying to figure out what, what is this, what is Seashore Church, and maybe how do I find out more about the church, I'd probably say the best way to do that, or even like youth. You heard us talking uh, about what Lily is doing in youth. It's Thursday nights at 7 p.m. We actually rent a church gym. We've got to turn that one down. We rent a church gym over near the courthouse. So all those details, rather than me telling you about them, we send it out in a weekly email. So all of our house churches and prayer meetings and worship nights youth. So if you don't yet get our email, it's pretty simple. Any of these people kind of on the front row here um, can get you signed up and into our database where you can get that email with all those details. And um, that makes it a whole lot easier than we all have to do a ton of announcements. Sound good? So just come see one of us at the end of the service and we'll, we'll make sure you get onto that. You know, uh, I'm going to step away from this a little bit. When, when Jesus began his earthly ministry, he was about 30 years old, and what he did is he, he went and he, he got baptized. He got baptized by his cousin named John, John the Baptist. Pretty good name if that's what you do is baptized is John the Baptist. He wasn't like Baptist as opposed to Presbyterian. He just, I'll move on. He went to get baptized by John the Baptist, and then uh, once he got baptized, he got filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did something very interesting. It says he led him into the desert to be tempted by the devil. That'll mess up your theology of what being led by the Spirit means. Led by the Spirit to be tempted after 40 days of of fasting, he was tempted by the devil with all kinds of things and Jesus passed the test. How many are glad that Jesus passed the test? He did not give in to the temptation of the enemy. And so he was able to, to leave that place and kind of begin his ministry. So what he did is he went back to like his hometown, his, his home area of Nazareth, which this is my hometown. I grew up in, in Hampton Roads. Anybody here actually grow up in Hampton Roads? That's awesome. How many people moved here from somewhere else? Well, I guess that will be the rest of you. I'm just testing to see if you'll actually raise your hand in church to make sure. Okay. How many of you are like, please don't ask me to raise my hand again. This is ridiculous. Okay. I grew up in this town. Jesus goes back to his hometown called Nazareth. And he shows up, what does he do? He goes home and he goes to church. Sometimes when you go home and visit your hometown, you know, I gotta go to church with my mom and dad. And, and and so he went to church. But when he went to church, they asked him to kind of be the guest speaker at church, at synagogue. And so here's the big question, I would think. He's beginning his earthly ministry. He really hasn't done a whole lot yet, except get filled with the Holy Spirit, tempted by the devil, pass the test. And now, this is his first sermon. It's his first message. What do you preach on? Look, I've I've got pastor friends all over the city. Like, we met this past Thursday just to pray over the churches and pray over the cities, and everyone's got the same question. What are you preaching on? Like, I know the cross. I know Jesus, but what text are you using? Like, every preacher feels all the pressure of Easter thinking, what's this message going to be? Well, Can you imagine Jesus? Like, what is the thing that he's going to preach? What's he going to say? So we're going to pick this up in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. It tells the story. It says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and a scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, you could see the the scene happening here. He's like, okay, what are you going to preach on? He's like, I'm going to start reading this. The people knew this verse. Like they understood this passage. They'd have been going, yeah, Isaiah. Oh, that's one of my favorite ones in Isaiah. This is, this, I like this one. Yeah, yeah, good news of poor of oppressed. Yeah, that's a... We can't wait for that to happen. What a great day that will be when the oppressed get set free, when, when prisoners get set free. What a great day when we can proclaim good news to the poor. Can you imagine blind people that can now see? We've never seen that happen before. We've seen lots of blind people... Maybe somebody has the guts to pray for him. We've never seen a blind eye open. What a great day that will be. I love that scripture. But then something happens. It says, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Like you can picture the ultimate mic drop moment and sits down. Oh my gosh. Could you imagine that? Something just went from, I can't wait till one day. I can't wait how good a day that will be to, no, no, it's now. That moment that Isaiah prophesied is right now. You are hearing the fulfillment of what you have been looking forward to. What an incredible mic drop moment. I love that that's Jesus' first message. He didn't pull any punches, did he? He knew who he was, and he knew what he came to do. So what was this scripture that he's quoting? Why did he choose this one? Why was it significant? Well, let's have a look at the source. It's on Isaiah 61. And we're going to look in verses 1 through 4. And it says in Isaiah, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. "...to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations." You see Isaiah prophesied what the Messiah was going to do and Jesus goes, "Hey, I'm that guy. I am the one that he prophesied over." Jesus was saying, "You know that the Messiah has come when you begin to see blind eyes opened, when prisoners and oppressed people are being set free and God's favor is resting on the people. That's how you know." So he's not just saying, hey, trust me. He's saying, look for yourselves. Blind eyes are about to open. Prisoners are going to be set free. Oppressed people are going to be set free. And my favor is going to rest on you. God's favor is his glory. It's his presence that shows up when our hearts surrender to him. And his presence and glory not just inhabits the room, it inhabits us. He comes and takes residence in us. It's His glory. I want to encourage you that glory was always the goal. The goal was not just that you would feel better about yourself. The goal was not that you'd get a better job and better pay and and life would work out great. The goal was His glory. Never stop short of glory until I've experienced it, until i felt it. I'm not quite there yet. You know, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory. Not fell. For all have sinned and fall short. Meaning it's a continual falling short of the glory. Do you know what I see when I read this? I read that glory was the goal. Glory was the target. If I'm falling short of glory because of sin then I'm not going to let myself fall short of glory once my sin has been washed away. I don't want to just be forgiven and be a Christian and kind of go through life muddling through where I have to do Christian things because I'm a Christian without living with the power that comes from His glory. Glory is the goal. Don't stop short until you have glory. And so Jesus is saying, you know Messiah has come when you experience His glory. You know he's come to you, into your heart, when his glory isn't just in the room, but it's coming from inside of you. Jesus described it as streams of living water that will flow from us. And by that, he meant the Holy Spirit flowing from us. That's his glory, and it's for you. Glory was the goal. Don't stop short until you can say, surely the Lord was in this place. And can I tell you, I don't mean this place, I mean surely the Lord was in this place that I met with God. I prayed and I wasn't just talking to myself, I heard Him, I felt His presence with me. Though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. All of us have a valley of some shadow of death. But the reason we don't fear is not because we're the baddest one in the valley. It's because he's with me. What do I have to fear when he is with me and I carry his glory? John the Baptist, his cousin that baptized Jesus, there was a moment when he kind of just wanted to make sure. You ever have that? You've ever kind of had, maybe had a moment when you've kind of decided to try to follow Jesus or you've, you, you've made some sort of a commitment you're like, I, I'm pretty sure, but I just want to make sure. Like, I won't, I won't call it doubt, but I just want to make sure, right? John the Baptist had one of those moments with the Messiah. So he was in jail. He knew that he was probably going to die. And so he sent some of his, his disciples to Jesus to go, hey, we just, we just want to make sure, right? And this was Jesus' response to John the Baptist who Jesus called the greatest prophet who ever lived. So don't think this is just some doubting person. Jesus called John the greatest prophet, including Moses, Elijah, nope, John the Baptist. And yet even then, he just wanted to make sure. Now, I'm a pastor. I've got a pastor's heart. I would have been like, hey, John, look, I I know you're in prison. It's going to be okay. Just, yeah, I, I am that person. Trust me, it's going to be all You know what I mean, that compassionate thing? Nope. Jesus said, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In Australia, they have an expression, says the runs are on the board. In other words, if you're trying to figure out whether you did it, the runs are on the board. Just check the scoreboard, buddy. You want to know if I'm the one? Let these things speak and testify to the fact that Messiah has come, that I I am the redeemer. I am the one who will wash away the sins of the world for all those who believe in me. The runs are on the board. Hey, John, it's happening. What you've been searching, what you've been waiting for, it's here. It's now. It's real. It's not a myth. I keep hearing this, this voice from entertainment in Hollywood that Jesus is a myth. The virgin birth is a myth. The crucifixion, the resurrection, it's a myth. There is more factual evidence to support the resurrected Jesus than there is any other book in antiquity. And yet, because we don't understand that, he becomes this myth. Oh, you believe in the myth. He's no myth, my friend. He's real. And he's telling John, if you don't just believe my words, then look at the result of what's actually happening. I am the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Jesus opens blind eyes. He binds up broken hearts. He frees captives. He releases prisoners. He comforts mourners. How good is that news? I know that Easter... You know what Easter is for me? Every morning, I wake up, every Easter morning, I wake up at sunrise, and I'm reminded that my loved ones who died in faith, I will see again. It's the morning of your dad. It's the morning of the Janets. It's the morning of the Bryans. It's the morning of the Chris's. It's the morning of all those who have died in faith, believing. They are with Jesus in full glory, and we'll see them again. I got a text message right before I got up to preach this morning that my sister-in-law's father passed away this morning. And he loved Jesus. And I'm I'm grieving, I'm in mourning. But he's free of pain. And he's with God for eternity, and I'll see him again. He comforts mourners. He exchanges beauty for ashes and joy for mourning. We don't get what we deserve, we get what he purchased with his blood. If we just believe in him, if we'll just believe in him. The Bible says he frees captives. It's actually kind of two different categories here he talks about. He frees captives. Do you know what a captive is? A captive is somebody that's being held through no fault of their own, like a kidnapping, they're held captive. And yet Jesus frees captives. You know, sometimes you end up a captive through nothing that you did yourself. But somehow you find yourself hurt and disillusioned and wounded by what others have done to us. They put salt in your sugar bowl. You ever gone to put, y'all in the country, y'all from the south, right, with sweet tea? Just want to check, make sure. Sweet tea. You ever gone to put sugar in your tea and you realize, wait, that's not sugar? And you stir it in, you take a sip, and you're like, that is some salty tea. I don't know that anybody likes salty tea because it's supposed to be sweet. Sometimes that's what happens to us. We reach for something we thought was going to sweeten, but instead it was salt. It's like somebody put salt in your sugar bowl. You didn't do it. You didn't intend for it to happen. It was through no fault of your own. But somebody who should have loved you instead abused you. Somebody who should have cared for you mistreated you. Somebody who you were looking for to for leadership, protection, provision took advantage of that for their own means. They put salt in your sugar bowl. They should have shown you freedom but instead made you a slave. They should have put courage into you and instead, they just gave you all their fears too. You didn't do it. It was done to you. And you're a captive. But Jesus frees captives. He doesn't matter what's been done to you. He will free you from your captivity that somebody else has put you in. Thank God that when Jesus died, He didn't just stay in the grave and wait three days for somebody to come get Him out. He wasn't chilling inside that tomb going, I wish that angel would show up because it's almost the third day. No. The Bible tells us that when he died, he went to hell, to Hades, and rescued all of those who had died in faith, believing for the Messiah that was to come. He went and rescued them from hell and took them to heaven. He wasn't sitting back on a rock waiting for the door to open up. He was busy. Could you imagine waiting in this place, Abraham's bosom, call it what you want, but waiting in this place, a holding pattern, and then Jesus comes. Could you imagine? Just like that synagogue in Nazareth that heard, This is fulfilled in your hearing. Could you imagine being in Hades and Jesus shows up and says, This is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm here, it's been done. Let's go. Let's get out. The time is now. There is new life for you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. It says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Jesus freed captives and he still does. He will free you from whatever somebody else has done to you. You are not a product of the abuse that you suffered. You are not a product of the rejection that's happened to you. You are a product of his blood and his purchase of you through his blood. That your sins can be washed away and you can be made new and be made clean. You can be freed from a fear of COVID over these past couple of years. I've been shocked. And how much this fear has gripped people, gripped them. Battle-hardened Marines. I've got friends that have done multiple tours on the front lines of battle calling me and saying, I am gripped in fear that I am going to get COVID, give it to my kids, they're going to die, and it's going to be my fault. And they are shut up in their homes and can't leave, shaking in fear. These aren't fearful people. It's a spirit that's come on them, scared to death. They're like, I've never had this before. What's going on? And you can't just go, hey, suck it up, man. You'll be fine. Here's all of the data. The data doesn't matter when you're gripped by a spirit. They're captive, and yet God frees captives. So Romy and I met with some of them and just broke it free, broke them free of this stuff because Jesus has come to set them free that's a captive. But the Bible says he also sets prisoners free. You know the difference between a prisoner and a captive? A captive's in there for what somebody did to them. A prisoner's in there for something they did. It's called suffering the consequences of your own sin. That's a tougher one. Maybe I put salt in somebody else's sugar bowl. And now because of that, I've become a prisoner of my own choices. The fact is, without even knowing it, most, many people just choose not to follow God. That's actually called sin. They choose not to receive this free gift of grace that He has for us. And we end up becoming prisoners in a prison of our own making. I have a hard time understanding that I did this, but that at some point in my life, I refused Jesus' offer of love just because I wanted to try some things out myself. Yeah, yeah, I gave my life to Jesus, but hey, it's college now. I got a a couple years here where I can do what I want, and then after college, I'll settle down and come back to church. And so I'll spend a couple years partying, and I'll spend a couple years doing stuff that I know is not right. And yet... It's a refusal of his offer of this loving relationship that he has for me. It's that attitude that actually put Jesus on the cross. That refusal of his love. Could you imagine? When I look at the cross, I don't just see Jesus on there. That's my sin. That's my sin on that cross. But it's on that cross, I would think, if it were me, and I'm on the cross, and the people that did this are right there, and I can call 10,000 angels. Hey, God, would you come rescue me? And on the way, you got some smiting to do. You'd think that that blood would have been the blood of vengeance. But he's not like me. In Luke 23, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Because I don't know what they're doing. Forgive. Forgive. Yeah. They've created prisons for themselves. And the only way out of that prison is my blood. So, Father... Would you forgive them and pour out your vengeance on me? What what a Savior. Who does that? Who does that? Jesus does that. He sets prisoners free. When I was a son who got lost because I wandered away, he found me and he said, forgive him. And so I can surrender my heart to him because he's already given it all to me. Whether you're a captive or a prisoner today, you can sing, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. We were listening to that song on the way here this morning, and I'm just like, she doesn't even know. That's what I'm preaching about this morning. I love it. Free at last, free at last. God, I thank you that I'm free from myself. Thinking that I'm free from the abuse of others. I am totally free. You know, Jesus didn't look like what they thought a Savior would look like. He didn't fit the mold, right? And the funny thing is, Jesus continued his ministry by using people who didn't fit the mold either. This is the amazing part about this scripture. I told you how he sets captives free, he sets prisoners free, he he binds up the brokenhearted. But in chapter 4 of Isaiah 61, it says, They will be called Oaks of Righteousness. Who? The, the, the really spiritual people, right? Like the religious people. The ones that go to church every day. The ones that got up and prophesied. Them, right? That's the, no, no, no. They will be called Oaks of Righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They, who's He talking about? They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Guess who the they are? It's the captives and the prisoners. It's the blind. They got set free. They got filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly who God used to go back and renew cities. They went back to the places that devastated them. But instead of getting redevastated and having to get set free again, they went back and broke the places that broke them. Because now they've got a stream of living water flowing from them it is not just for them, but it's for these places. They went out and sought the dry places because they had water that they knew those places needed. They knew it. When we started this church four five years ago, whatever it was, I had a great plan. I'm a planner. Any planners, strategizers? I'm a planner. All the pilots just raise their hand. I love that. I'm a planner. So I'm like, all right, we, we'll tell this story another day. But in five years of living in the neighborhood we lived in and telling people about Jesus, inviting them to church, nothing. No, no decisions. That's great. No thanks. Five years of nothing. No fruit. And then in a six-month period, over 200 people from my immediate neighborhood made a decision to follow Jesus in six months. It was like this massive revival that happened in my neighborhood. But the problem was none of them wanted to go to the church that we were a part of at the time. And so I'm like, here's 200 plus people saved, but not being discipled and don't have a place to go. God, that's who I'm going to start this church with. 200 people is a pretty good start for a church, right? Like, let's just go. They're not going anywhere. Let's start the church. I'm like, we're going to end homelessness. That's a real passion of mine. So that's what we're going to be known by. Come on, God, let's go. And so we started this church with like zero publicity. We're terrible at social media. Sorry, not sorry. Sorry. And then I'd sit here and we we would have a meeting. But all that would come was broken people. Like, I know, I'm a pastor, I'll help you, I'll pray for you, we'll work through some stuff. But they weren't just broken like, I mean, they were broken through sin of their own. They were broken by religious systems that had all the talk but none of the presence. They were broken by doing the work of the ministry without the power of the ministry. They didn't understand how to, how to live in revival, how to live with repentance and forgiveness and keeping that stream of living water from getting clogged up. But they were broken. Sometimes they were bitter. And I would sit here and I'd go, God, yes, I'll help these people, but I can't build with them. Because you know what'll happen, they didn't like the last church they were in, so in some pretty soon they're just not going to like this one either. And I don't want to just start a church with somebody that wasn't happy with their old church. This is my honest talk with God that's now become very honest with you. Like John the Baptist, I begin to ask God, "Have I missed something? You, you did call us to plant a church, right?" There's no doubt in my mind, but I just had a moment. Yeah, I know you did. But like John the Baptist, I just want to check in again. I just want to make sure. Is this what? Because God, remember the plan? Remember the 200 people? Remember the, uh, of which those, Norm, I think is the only one that actually is a part of that 200 that became a part of our church. Remember the homelessness thing? Like, we're going to end that, but it seems to be getting worse, you know, in the city. And He's like, yeah, God's like, yeah, that's great. I don't want to do any of that. That would have been helpful two years ago, God. Um said, so God, this doesn't look like what I had planned. But I use the we. You know, it's like when I say we decided to do something and God, this doesn't look like what we planned, but really is my plan. And God tells me, He says, look again. Look again what do you see? I said, God, I see one more broken person who doesn't like their church and soon they won't like ours. He said, but I see a city. I see a city renewed. I see a river of living water that needs to get uncorked, but they don't know how. They need help. I see a people who can't hear me, who don't know me, but who long for love. I see apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. They're not looking for a new church. They're looking for me. And as he said that, literally, because in the church we were renting, it was like one long aisle, and the back door was right there. And here comes one more person, first Sunday here, and I know their story. And they were exactly the thing that I'm like, I know that guy's story. Here we go again, right? Right? I said, Lord, would you help me see what you see? Because I'm having a hard time right now. Let me flow in your anointing to open blind eyes and free prisoners. Let me carry on the supernatural ministry like you told us we could. And when my eyes got opened, you know what? Jesus opened blind eyes. You know the first one he started with was these. I needed my eyes opened up. I loved y'all, but I needed to see what he saw. Because I realized that I always had this fear of perpetuating a stereotype that when you plant a church, you're just pulling people from other churches. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. And God's like, why do you care about a stereotype? If I've brought them to you, and by the way, your social media is terrible. They can't even find you. So it's obviously not you that's drawn them. If I've brought them to you, what are you complaining about? So I just said, God, I'm sorry but it started happening. People started getting words of knowledge and they, they would get the word of knowledge for somebody in the room, which was a supernatural revelation of something that's happening in a person in that moment that you didn't know about naturally and nobody else knew about it. It's kind of like God reads my mail and I didn't know who was more surprised, the person who the word was for or the person who got the word. They're both like, really, really, really? I was like, yeah. People started getting healed. We had seven people get healed of cancer. Here's Ariel. Here's one right here. She got healed. Here's Donnie right here. He got healed of cancer. There's Norm right behind him. Dave, who's doing kids, I think, got healed. That's just four people here. Seven people got miraculously healed of cancer. Three people, here's one here, here's one here, and my daughter, got healed of gluten allergies. Like, God can heal cancer and gluten allergies. Like, these guys had severe gluten allergies, and they got healed and went out and split a pizza. Is that right? <laughs> like if there's anything you don't do, it's eat a pizza. Please yeah. God, I'm healed in Jesus name.. I love it. I love it. I love it. One got healed of MS. And there's many more to come. And so the Lord told me, teach them to hear his voice, their good shepherd, teach him to hear and obey. And He said, "I'm not going to tell you everything you need to know about this church." I'm going to tell them. So you better teach them to hear and you better release them to speak or you'll have an incomplete vision for what seashore is going to look like. And boy, has that been tested. So this little moment that we have here, none of those people were like, all right, here's what you're going to say. Here's the time you got. That's what you got to do. The time that most churches and not be critical of most churches, because I don't have a problem with offerings, but the time that most collect an offering, God just said, no, just just let people speak what I've spoken to them and watch what happens. And so when you run a church like this, you need money to run a church, pay salaries, rent buildings, do things. We've never taken up an offering in this church. But as we began to teach people how to hear from God, God kept telling them, I want you to start giving. And so people would just start writing out checks. And I'm like, "Uh, do we have an account? I don't know how to do this. So it kind of forced our hands in incorporating because God provided our needs as people began to hear what he was saying. I love that. Ministry began to look very, very different. This is my friend Jonathan here. Say that for me, Jonathan. This is my brother. I love Jonathan. Jonathan, several years ago, uh, we had some conflicts. Some really, you can sit down, man, you're good. It's a pretty deep, serious conflict, probably 15 years ago, that meant there was a separation from the two of us, and uh, I had not seen him in, in many years, like really serious conflict, right? And yet, I got a message from somebody that said, hey, I've got a friend that I want to bring to church, but when I invited him, he said, you probably want to ask Clayton first. I said, what's his name? He said, his name is Jonathan. told me his name, and I was like, oh, yeah, tell him to come. I want him to come. And so Jonathan strolled in and met me right there one day and goes, Clayton, I just want to tell you that I'm sorry. I want to tell you that God's really gotten a hold of me in our time away. And I've learned how to repent. And I don't know if you'll accept me, but I just want to say I'm sorry. I said, Jonathan, I forgave you 15 years ago. And you're welcome to be a part of our family not come into church, sit in the back and make sure that blah, blah, blah. No, your family. Welcome home. Well, this guy started bringing people like crazy. And one of the guys he brought was someone who had had some issues, had some challenges. And so I remember one Sunday sitting over there, it was his first time in church, and I'm over there and I see somebody on the floor and all these people gathered around him. There's like vomit on the floor and the guy's got issues and You know, in that moment, a lot of people, like the ambulance was already on the way. Somebody made a phone call, thinking medical, whatever. It was like, I get it. So we escort him out to the lobby, and he ends up falling down again. But there's nothing wrong with him. His pulse is okay, I guess, and all his vital signs were okay. So he gets rushed off to the hospital, and we all prayed for this guy. But you don't know what happens. And so Jonathan calls me. He goes, can we go visit him in the hospital tomorrow? I said, yeah, man, let's go. You and me, let's go. He goes, oh yeah. He's also got a family member that's bound up and probably some demonic stuff too. Can he come too? I'm like, yeah, man, let's do it. <laughs> so we go visit this guy. His name's Lorenzo. Go visit him in the hospital. He's plugged into everything. I said, Lorenzo, what's going on, man? What's happening? And by the way, Rome and I on the way home both went, I think this was actually a demonic manifestation that this guy experienced. This, this was not a heart attack. This wasn't physical. We both really felt that. But in the moment of the way it was handled, nobody did anything wrong. But by the time we got there, he was already off in the ambulance. And I was like, oh, and she, goes, she was really telling me I really felt that too. So I was like, all right. With that in mind, sometimes demons manifest in the middle of worship because they actually want the worship. And when you come into an environment of freedom, then the stuff that's hanging on to you can't really stay anymore. And so often we'll see those kinds of things. And knowing how to respond to them appropriately is important. But Jonathan and I go to the hospital, and he goes, man, so they run every test in the world, and they couldn't find anything. They begin to ask me when this happened, and all these people gathered around, and when I explained the circumstances of when I fell down, one of the nurses just goes, I think you got a touch of the Holy Ghost, the nurse. And I said, Lorenzo, I think you're right. I said, can I do something for you? Have you ever met Jesus? Have you asked him into your heart? He goes, no, but I think I really want to. I said, cool. So we prayed, and he's sitting on the couch with the other guy, a little bit of a gap between us. So we lead Lorenzo to Jesus. I said, Lorenzo, I actually think you've got some demons, but God wants to set you free. Can I pray to get you set free? He's like, yes. And we pray, and he gets delivered of a couple of demons that have been oppressing him. He didn't know that's what it was, and he gets set free. I said, Lorenzo, can I pray that you get filled with the Holy Spirit? He goes, yes. And I said, Lord, Holy Spirit, come. That's all I got out. And both of us start sweating profusely. Like the heat and intensity of this room was like, he goes, what's happening? I was like, that's God, man. I'm glad you're feeling it too because I thought it was just me, you know. And we're shaking. And I can't, whatever words you're supposed to pray to get filled with the Holy Spirit, I didn't know what they were. God just did it. And then the guy next to you goes, why is it so hot in here? What's going on? And then all the nurses start coming in and we're like, okay, we got to go. Lorenzo gets up and he's like taking stuff off going, I'm getting out of here. I'm healed. I'm done. But we had to go because they're freaking out. They're all coming in. So we're like, all right. So we go down the lobby and Jonathan goes, hey, can we do that with the other guy too? I was like, you bet, man, but you do it this time. So we go down in the lobby and we sit with this other guy, his friend, who's got severe bipolar and I think had some demonic stuff too. And Jonathan does with him what I just did with Lorenzo. And this guy gets set free. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And I walk out of that hospital going, if I were to handpick who I'd be doing ministry with, with my blind eyes, probably wouldn't have been Jonathan. Nor would he have chosen me. But because of the blood of Jesus because he sets captives free, because he releases prisoners from darkness, they will renew cities. They will return to the places long devastated. And ministry looks just like this. This is my brother. And so I'm praying that God opens our eyes. He is still good news to the poor. He still binds up broken hearts. He frees captives and releases prisoners. I believe that what God's doing here is part of a prophetic fulfillment. When they landed at 1607 at Cape Henry, they planted a cross. And that chaplain that brought that cross over, Chaplain Hunt, said everything west of here belongs to the Lord. Having no idea what he was prophesying, I believe that we are partly a fulfillment of that prophecy. It's why we're called Seashore Church, because the first place that it hits is Seashore State Park. I don't know who named it First Landing, if you're from here, it's called Seashore State Park, okay? But it's called Seashore. That's why we're called Seashore. We're part of the prophetic declaration that revival will flow out from this place with formerly blind, formerly prisoners, formerly captive people get set free, filled with the Holy Ghost. Their living water gets uncorked and they go to dry places. They seek out places that are long devastated and they bring hope. They bring salvation. They bring the message of a resurrected Jesus. I'm tired of hearing testimonies of what God used to do. I'm tired of hearing how Jesus used to open blind eyes, how there used to be miracles in the church. I'm tired of, I love revival history, but I serve a God of now. He's not the great I was. He's the great I am. I want families brought together, brought back together now. Oh, let me tell you of all the great things God did when I got saved. I love that. That's your testimony but I want him to do it now. I want a testimony of fire here and now. He lives. He lives today. His great power is available to those who will believe that he performs miracles now. He heals now. He delivers now. He unites families now. His power has never abated. His truth has never been corrupted. His blood has never been tainted. His righteousness has never waned. His love has never failed, and His kingdom knows no end. His name is Jesus, and His salvation is here, and it's now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to go study in a college. You can have it right now. Here, bring your sins. Here, let Him wash them away. Here, bring your sickness. Here, He'll heal you today. Today, you can be healed. Bring your affliction and your fear. He'll set you free. Now is the hour of salvation. Come young, come old, come sad, come glad, come weary, come sick, come one, come all. There's food for the hungry. There's strength for the weary. There is sight for blind eyes. There is hope for the hopeless. There's a city that needs renewing. There's places long devastated that need us. Stop waiting for someone else to do it. It's you. He wants to renew you. Would you pray with me this morning? Come, Holy Spirit. Come on this place. Heal broken people. And fill us. And if that's you this morning, if you can say, Yep, yeah, Clayton, I'm broken. I'm lost. I'm a captive. Somebody's put salt in my sugar bowl. I'm held prisoner by my own choices and I keep trying to make the right choices but as soon as things get good I make a wrong choice and end up back in the same place. He'll set you free if you'll just believe in Him and surrender your heart to Him. If that's you this morning, and you want to ask Jesus into your life, you're, you're tired of doing it your way and ending up in the same place and getting in that endless circle of nothingness. And you want to surrender your heart to him. All it takes is you to pray a prayer that's actually what you're deciding in your heart, of asking Jesus into your heart, receiving his forgiveness of your sins, letting him cleanse you of all unrighteousness, and giving your life to him. Well, I don't know if I do that. What if he tells me to do something weird? What if you get free? Would it matter? That's you this morning. I want you to pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And make me your son or your daughter. Don't say son or daughter. Say whichever one you are. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 If you prayed that for the first time, we've got some people up here, like our prayer team that will be here. We'd love to encourage you in what you did, maybe help you along a little bit. Um, But we're so glad that you've come here this morning. That's a new life that you can begin in Him. Amen.